And if you recall, bombs were falling and bullets were flying. And all of this was taking place in the midst of ordinary life. Uh, Seamen waking up in the morning, brushing their teeth, shaving, uh, eating breakfast, uh, people doing their normal activities on that uh, beautiful morning on December 7th, 1941. In that context, there were young men and young women from all over the island that went out and was looking at what was happening and they cried out pretty much the same thing. What's going on? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to survive this attack? I mean, what are we supposed to do? Now, in that context, we allowed ourselves to be taken back 2,000 years and to see what it was like in the first century in the area that Jesus was born in. And around AD 45, just a scant maybe 15 years after Jesus was resurrected and ascended into heaven, we find that James is writing to the Christian church where, once again, bombs are falling and bullets are flying. They are carrying Christians out on stretchers. Everything is turning upside down. And the Christians are asking, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to live in this kind of life? What are we supposed to do? And James speaks into that, con- into that context. And he says, here's what you're supposed to do. Stand tall in Christ. Stand up tall in Christ. How are we supposed to do that when bombs are falling and bullets are flying? He says, stand tall in Christ. Under enormous persecution and intense pressure from a world that is set against the things of God, James says, okay, now here's how we survive. No, not survive. Here's how we flourish. We stand tall in our faith. The contrast that we looked at last week was Bending a knee to the earth and deciding that we can survive by consuming that which the the earth says will nourish us. Now, we're not talking about the physical dirt. We're not talking about things like this pulpit or the chair that you're sitting in. But we're talking about the world, according to James chapter 4. The world is that philosophy that is set against God. That's what we're talking about. People that bend a knee to the earth are those who are consumed and nourish themselves on that which the world says matters. And in that, James says, it doesn't work. Your mouth will be dry. Your soul will be thirsty. It doesn't work. If you want to survive in this difficult time, you need to stand tall in Christ. Stand up. Stand tall in Him. And that's really the question that we want to look at today. Now, Uh, Let's fast forward uh, from uh, Pearl Harbor, uh, uh, three years and eight months, to August the 6th, 1945. An American bomber called the Enola Gay, you know this story, dropped a single bomb on Hiroshima, Japan, a city of about 175,000 people. The atomic bomb was 20 times more powerful than any bomb that had ever been used in the history of the world. The explosion flattened buildings in an area of approximately four square miles. 70,000 Japanese were killed, and many more were maimed and injured. Three days after Hiroshima, Nagasaki was destroyed by another atomic bomb. President Harry S. Truman stated that the bombings were necessary for two reasons. The first was this, to stop the war, 
ultimately saving millions of lives. That was the rationale in 1945. And the second reason that they dropped the bombs was to demand and ensure unconditional surrender by the empire of Japan. Let's listen to what President Truman said after uh, the bombs uh, destroyed those cities. Take a look. received this afternoon a message from the Japanese government in reply to the message forwarded to that government by the Secretary of State on August 11th. I deem this reply a full acceptance of the Potsdam Declaration, which specifies the unconditional surrender of Japan. In the reply, there is no qualification. Arrangements are now being made for the formal signing of the surrender terms at the earliest possible moment. General Douglas MacArthur has been appointed the Supreme Allied Commander to receive the Japanese surrender. Great Britain, Russia, and China will be represented by high-ranking officers. Meantime, the Allied Armed Forces have been ordered to suspend offensive action. The proclamation of VJ Day must await upon the formal signing of the surrender terms by Japan. That was August 11, 1945, and President Truman said that they called for an unconditional surrender of Japan. And he said, without qualifications. And if you have an unconditional surrender, there can be no qualifications. Unconditional surrender, except they can keep the emperor. Uh, unconditional surrender, except this. No, unconditional surrender. This was the key phrase in those days, in 1945. The brain trust of the United States, along with the allies, uh, including President Truman, General Eisenhower, and Admiral Leahy, concluded that unconditional surrender was the only possible solution, the only possible solution, the only realistic possibility to end World War II. No remnants of Japan, Japanese hierarchy, no emperor remaining as head of state, no surrender with any provisions or qualifications, only unconditional surrender. Now, the reason I show you this is to help you understand how rich this idea is in James chapter 4. In James chapter 4, when he talks, when James talks about submission and surrender, it's with this ultimate qualification, unconditional surrender. No riding the fence, no wishy-washy, no namby-pamby, no one foot in, one foot out, unconditional surrender. That's what we're talking about today. Because the battle is fought over the kingdom of the world set against the kingdom of God. Throughout the epistle, there's a great battle going on. And that battle we saw last week, that battle goes on within us. Remember the Romans 7? You know, what I want to do, I don't do, etc. Et so that battle is going on inside of us. The battle is also going on with us and other people. Uh, partly because as Christians, we're going against the stream of the world. And, and that battle is also between us and God. And the things that he represents versus bending a knee to the earth and feeling that we are nourishing ourselves on the things of the earth. In other words, that designer bait that is not bait, uh, it's, we believe it has, is food, and it's not. This idea of unconditional surrender. 
James says, when you bend a knee to the earth, you do that or you stand tall in Christ. There's no crouching in Jesus. There's no bending over in Jesus. It's either bending to the earth, and this is what I'm absolutely dependent on to swallow and to to help me be nourished, or to stand tall in Christ. There's no in-between. Everything else, fence, straddling, playing both sides, divided heart, one foot in, one foot out, according to James, is unacceptable. The only solution, and the only decision will be to either bend a knee to the earth or stand tall in Christ. That's what we're talking about this morning. Unconditional surrender. Would you pray with me? Father, as we open your word now, we pray that you would open our hearts. Lord, even even uh, preaching on this subject uh, kind of is uh, fearful for me because it, it seems so radical. And then I look at the life of Jesus and I say, it reminds me that, oh yeah, that's right. This Christian life is radical. We are, we are the most, this is the most radical life you could possibly live in this world. And so, Father, help us today to understand what it means to stand tall in Christ. What it means to, uh, to offer ourselves unconditionally. We unconditionally surrender to you, Lord Jesus. And to help us know that that's what we are called to as your children. So bless us to that end, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, last week, we talked about submission. And we identified the fact that we are all submitting to something. Romans 6.16, Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. In other words, you are submitting to somebody. Either you're submitting to sin or you're submitting to God. The choice is yours. And that's how dark and dank and stark uh, this this contrast is we talked last week a lot about contrast the contrast is not between something good and something better the contrast is not between something kind of not so bad and something bad the contrast is between life and death no in between life and death bend the knee to the earth swallow the earth or you stand tall in christ life and death and so last week this contrast led us to james 4 4 that says this You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Again, no middle ground there, no riding the fence. Uh, This this idea of spiritual adultery, we didn't develop it last week. I want to just talk about it for a moment. This idea of spiritual adultery is a powerful and disturbing metaphor. uh, Because it's exactly what it says. Um, Spiritual adultery, when we bend a knee to the earth and we, we nurture from the earth, when we embrace the earth, uh, we, are, uh, we are forsaking God. It, it's, uh, again, the imagery is that of adultery. Um, we are embracing that which is not God. And so here this idea of bending a knee, which is not friendship with the world, is not just saying, I like the world. It, it's, it's embracing the world. Remember, the world is the philosophy um, organized against the things of God. It's not flesh and blood and desks and molecules. It's, it's a philosophy organized against the, uh, the uh, things of God. And so this idea of world, uh, when we embrace that, we settle our affection on that. We have a determined attachment to that. We nest on it. Okay, now, again, I don't want to be indelicate, but let's look at that from this idea, the word adultery. So... Um, uh, a, a, a man begins to have a friendship with a woman, and that's good. And uh, but that friendship goes beyond 
just friends. It, it goes and it, it ends up with as a settled affection. It ends up as an embrace. It ends up as a determined attachment. And, and, and that's the word adultery. Let me, let me give you an example. I, um, I have been faithful to my wife for the 40 years of our marriage. And I, as God is my helper, that will never change. And so uh, here's the way I approach this. We, we have in our church, at, at Hope Covenant Church, we have about 55% of our regular attenders are women. Now, that's because many times more women are, are single or divorced that go to church than men that, that do. So we have about 55% of our, our contingency of women. And, and I love every one of you. I do. I love every one of you. Some of you are, are dear friends. And all of you are friends. And all of you are amazing. And I love you and your sisters in Christ and you're spectacular and you're beautiful and, and you're all the things that God wants a woman to me. So I, I see you and I say, Lord, they, they are beautiful. But let me tell you something. There's only one woman in this church that I settle my affection on. There's only one woman that I have a determined attachment to. That's not going to change ever. And, and so this idea that we say, oh, yeah, I can love God and love the world too. No, no, James says you can't do that. You can't have a subtle, determined affection on the world and also have the same thing on God. You've got to make a decision. How are you going to live your life? If we're enemies of God, we're attached to the earth. If we're enemies of the earth, that doesn't mean we hate people. That means we hate the things of God. We hate the things of the world that are organized against God. If we do that, then we can fully stand up into Christ and say, yes. In other words, God says, I'm a jealous God. And I jealously desire life for you. That's why he's so concrete about adultery or being unfaithful. It's so wrong because you're settling on someone else instead of that one that you have determined to set your affection on. It's really important. Jealously desire life for you. I used the example last week of a teenager. I remember with our son. Uh, he was getting off the rails and he was involved in things he shouldn't have been. And, and I remember telling him, I said, son, I love you so much. I, I, I'm, I'm choosing to be your worst enemy. And I, I told you last week, I'll, I'll spit in your soup. I remember telling him that. I will stand in your way. I will do everything in my power. Because here, here's what I see. I see, I jealously desire life for you. And I see you going towards death. But I jealously desire life for you. So I'm going to do everything. And that's what God does to you. He says, I will stand in your way. I will spit in your soup. I will make you uncomfortable because I jealously desire life for you. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. That's his promise to us. Many, many of you last week, it was, um, it was, it was, it was very moving. I was the only one that was looking, but many of you stood up, uh, symbolically, you stood up in Christ and you said, I have humbled myself before God. And I'm standing in Jesus Christ. I'm standing up and, and I'm standing into his amazing grace. And I'm standing into his forgiveness and his mercy. And I am standing before him. That standing is unconditional surrender. Submission means to align under one's authority. Now, to bend a knee, to settle your affection on Jesus, that's what it means to Submit. So let me, with that context, that's just the introduction, folks. I mean, that's free. Okay. Uh, now let's look at the text for today. Uh, James chapter 4, verses 11 to 17. Brothers, do not slander one another. 
Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, but you who are to judge your neighbor, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. That goes back to James' earlier uh, conversation in chapter 2 about living faith. Living faith, there's always something that comes out of living faith, right? And that something is good works. That something is good works. Unconditional surrender. The text this morning leads us to ask a very important question. Uh, We know that if we are humble, if we do not bend a knee to the earth, but we stand up in Christ. And we, we know that if we are humble, that God said, I will pick you up. I will stand you up. We don't do it on our own. I will stand you up. We know that, right? That's what we looked at last week. So what happens if, if, if we don't submit to God? That's the question we want to look at. Today. What happens if we don't submit to God? What happens if we do bend a knee to the earth? And we embrace that. And we, we literally commit adultery with uh, the things of the world, things organized against God. And, and if that's the case, if we don't submit to God, then who's going to lift us up? If God's not lifting us up, who's going to lift us up? Well, the answer from the text is, you will. Or at least you'll try. I will. Or at least I'll try. There's two common ways that people choose to lift themselves up. And this is from the text. And we've all experienced this, so don't shoot the messenger, please. (laughs) There's two ways that we tend to lift ourselves up. One is we lift ourselves by pushing others down. Well, that's a history of the world. And that's a history of war. (laughs) We, We lift ourselves by pushing others down. And the second is that we lift ourselves by climbing on top of our accomplishments, achievements, and accumulations. So that first one, let's look at that. We lift ourselves by pushing others down. You remember in uh, the Christmas story, uh, Scott Farkas? How many remember Scott? Oh, I love Scott Farkas. He's awesome. And, and, but he was a bully, right? And finally, uh, you know, um, uh, what's his name? Ralphie had enough and Ralphie just, you know, just beat him up real good. And, and so we're all kind of cheering, you know, when the bully finally gets his way. But bullies are all around us and they're not just in our schoolyards. They're in the world. I mean, what we're seeing in, in Gaddafi is, is bullyish. And what we're seeing in other parts of the world is bullying. And it's, it's always doing that. And you lift yourself up by being on. How many of you saw that video this week? I saw it. Uh, I forget, maybe it was Tuesday or Thursday. Uh, I think it took place in Australia, right? This kid that was picking on this bigger kid. How many saw that, that video? Pretty startling. And so this kid, and you can just see it. I, we've all known these kids. He's a smaller kid, but he's a bully. 
You don't have to be big to be a bully. In fact, sometimes the, bull, the bullies, the, the nice guys are the big guys that are kind of gentle bears. And so this guy's picking on him. He actually hits him in the face and he's dancing around and the kids are cheering him on and everything. Finally, this, bull, this, this big kid that's trying, just leave me alone, leave me alone, leave me alone. Finally, this kid just snaps. He picks up this little kid and throws him on the concrete. Now, I think the kid was hurt. When, you, when he got up, he couldn't even walk. But the, the fact is, sometimes, bullies, you're going to get your comeuppance. And, and what James is saying is, if you put yourself in a position over somebody... See, bullying is always putting yourself over somebody else. That's why slavery was wrong. That's why uh, 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 apartheid was wrong. That's why all these things in the world that are happening, where there's somebody over somebody else, it's always going to fail. Always. Okay, so so we, we lift ourselves up by pushing others down. Actually, this is a game that is a very dangerous game, and it's a game that's called Who Wants to Be God? Okay, you remember Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I, we could make a game show out of this. Who Wants to Be God? You know, oh, I do, I do, let me, me, me. You know, that's, there's some kids in the class that always raise their hand first. I want to be, well, the truth is that's exactly right. <laughs> because if we don't let God be God, guess what? You're saying, I want to be God. I want to be God. And that's a very, very dangerous game. Either we submit to God and he will lift you up or we play God and we lift ourselves up. And that's what James 11 to 17, 4, 11 to 17 talks about. Because in James' day, uh, the people were very proficient at uh, being over somebody else. Uh, the Jews, especially the religious Jews, were over the common Jews. Uh, the Jews were over the Samaritans. The Romans were over the Jews. And everybody was over somebody else. And again, a way that you lift yourself up is by putting others down. Here, uh, the self-righteous smearing of others uh, that early church had down pat. And quite honestly, in our society today, we see that as well. The word there is slander. The word slander means to speak down to another through critical or derogatory speech. Speak down to another through critical or derogatory speech. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about the power of the tongue? We talked about marvel at the power of the tongue to set the course of a life for good or for bad. We talked about that. And this is, James is kind of bringing that theme back. He said when you slander somebody, you're of course putting yourself over that person and you're pushing down on them so that it makes you seem taller, better, stronger. That's how the game's played. I had a, um, a growing up a pastor. He's gone to be with the Lord now. His name is Pastor Woodhouse. And I learned a lot from him. Don't get me wrong. He, he, in a lot of ways, he was a really good man. But um, he had this habit of, on Sunday mornings, uh, he would preach against. You know, you know what I'm talking about? There's, there's different ways of preaching. You can preach uh, to lift up or you can preach to push down. And his style, that's what I grew up with. That's why I think I'm so grace oriented now. Um, he would preach to put down. And uh, anything you did that he believed the Bible taught or he believed was wrong made you wrong. You smoke a cigarette, you're bad. You drink a glass of beer, you're bad. You dance, you're bad. And part of the reason I'm not a good dancer is because I thought it was bad to dance, and I'm still glad I think that. Uh, so, but all to my wife's uh, chagrin. But, but this idea that everything was against something, a down, put you down. You don't, don't play cards, don't smoke, don't drink, don't this. You know, everything was don't, 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 don't. But, outside of the pulpit, Pastor Woodhouse had this amazing ability to 
gossip, to spread rumors, and to not keep confidences. Now, as a pastor, (laughs) if you're a pastor and you don't keep confidences, you're not going to last very long. You go, you know what, Uh, this person in counseling said this and that, boy, you do that and you have destroyed that counselor client relationship. It's terrible. And so he would do that and and he would preach against going to the movies. And then uh, he took one Wednesday night after Bible study, he took me and another 16 year old friend, Leroy, to the movies because he wanted to see Goldfinger. And I thought now as a 16 year old, I've got a choice of thinking my pastor is a hypocrite or watching a woman be spray painted with gold. I chose the latter. Okay, that's what a 16-year-old does. But my dad, when he heard this, he said, that's hypocritical, and he just chewed him out. But the point is that sometimes we can put people down, put them down, put them down, and somehow that we think that that lifts us up. It doesn't. And let me tell you why it doesn't. James says this. This is why it's so dangerous. The first thing is it violates the law of love. The law of love is Matthew 22. We know that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law of love. And scholars agree that that's what James is referring to here. So to love God, love others as yourself. And when you put yourself on top of somebody else that's laughing at God's law, at saying God didn't really mean that thing about love. God didn't really mean that I'm supposed to love my enemy. Come on. That's not logical. God didn't really mean that. And so we're putting ourselves on a self-righteous perch and flaunting God's law. To put someone down. Here's another thing. This is very important. To put someone down is to put God down. To put someone down, to slander someone, is to slander God. And I'll tell you why. Because every person was created in the image of God. Yeah, they may have their flaws, their faults. Every person was created in the image of God. That's why, that's why I, I'm really bothered by politics, especially the last 40 years. Really bothered by politics. Because politics isn't about what I am going to do. God is my helper. What I'm going to do to help our country. Instead, it's just the opposite. My, my opponent is just, and they just slander, slander, slander. God says, That violates the law of love. And he says also, besides violating the law of love, this idea of putting yourself over somebody, it puts us in a place of judging others, which is wrong. Verse 12, we read this. this. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? That's what verse 12 says. Who are you to judge? I mean, all of us have a log in our eye. How is it that we can so clearly see the splinter in somebody else's eye? We've got to deal with that log in our own eye. Be very careful. When you can walk on water, not Minnesota, you don't go there, you know. When you can walk on water like Jesus did, then you can judge. Until then, leave that to God. Leave that to God. Putting ourselves in the position of slander and judging is playing God. It's above your pay grade. It's above your moral grade. Don't do it. Putting someone down so you can be lifted up is folly. In James' words, there's only one judge and it's not you. Okay, just remember that. There's only one judge and it's not you. Now, the second way we play God, the first way we play God is by crawling on top of somebody else, that over-under thing. The second way we play God is we lift ourselves up by climbing atop our accomplishments, accumulations, and accolades. Verses 13 and 14. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. 
Why do you why do you you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. That's the word of God. And that talks about this idea that and there's nothing wrong with making plans. In fact, on the surface, this person looks like a good, solid citizen making plans, uh, self-starter, goal-oriented. All of those are, can be very good things. But the problem with what James is saying, the problem with that is they've left God behind. Oh, I can make it on my own. I'm going to do it. James says that kind of thing about planning and doing everything on your own, who's playing God, that kind of thing will cause you trouble. And James says it's a mist, it's a vapor. In the, in the Old Testament book of Amos, he said it's dust. If you want to nourish yourself by bending a knee to the earth, what you will be consuming is mist, vapor, dust. See, the missing ingredient is God. Where is he? You know, where's Waldo? Where's God in this? You know, where is he? So I do all I can do. I accomplish all I can accomplish. I plan all I can plan. I, I can't tell you how many times this has been my life and maybe yours, too. My life is, and again, I want to serve God. I want to love God. I want to do it God's way. But I, I, I just kind of charge ahead. I'm a type A guy, and I, 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 to a fault, I believe that when I make a decision, it's right. Ask my wife. And, and you, so, so I'm just kind of this way. And, and sometimes I go, and it, and it fails, and it doesn't work. And I think, man, what have I missed? I know what I forgot. I forgot God. I knew there was somebody else that I was supposed to check on. But no, I just go ahead and do it my own way. When it comes to tomorrow, our knowledge is reduced to nothing. We don't know the future. Now, we have a lot of knowledge. We do. Uh, God has given us the ability to reason. We have a knowledge uh, of this earth. I mean, we can split the atom, right? Unfortunately, you know, ask uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. We can split the atom. We can transplant hearts. Stacy, we can transplant livers. We can, we can do these amazing, we can do the surgery on Gordon Keene that literally uh, fused together the, the two and three vertebrae in your neck. I mean, uh, ten years ago, they couldn't even attempt that. We can do stuff. We're smart. I mean, we are. We can increase life expectancy. I read in the paper this week that the average life expectancy for a woman in the United States is 80 the average life expectancy for a man is 76. The average is 78. You say, why the difference? My opinion is, you women just wear us out. You say, oh, okay. no, that's not true. That's not true. Well, the fact is, women outlive men. Go to any rest home and 90% of them are women. But the fact is, we can do all of this. And we're smart. And we're, we're creating this. And it's great. But, but when it comes to tomorrow, our knowledge is reduced to nothing. I mean nothing. We can plan. We can determine. We can hope. We can dream, all good. But we, when it comes to our knowledge of tomorrow, we know nothing. Only God sees tomorrow. And think about this. Leaving God out of an equation where only He knows tomorrow, that's sheer folly. The only one that knows about tomorrow is God, and leaving Him out of our plans for tomorrow, that just doesn't make any sense. We've got to be smarter than that. James says, life is short. Like a mist. It vanishes. Life is uncertain. Somebody said, life is uncertain. Eat the dessert first. I'm for that. You know, let's, let's do that. We don't know about tomorrow. We don't know about tomorrow. On a more serious note, 
I want to tell you a true story about uh, Eddie Hartman. Eddie grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania. He was a wonderful quarterback at Geneva College, a small Division II college. And he graduated on May 14, 1983. And he accepted a job. He was a wonderful young man of God. And he accepted a job as a youth pastor in the Washington, D.C. area. He and his high school sweetheart were to be married on May the 28th, 1983. Everything was falling into place. The night before the wedding, they had a wonderful rehearsal dinner. And many of the young men that were in the wedding party stood up and said, what a wonderful influence Eddie had been on their life. He'd been a man of God, strong man of purpose, standing tall in the Lord. And, and they just confessed what a wonderful guy he was. Well, after, uh, after the uh, tributes um, uh, and after dinner, Eddie and five of his buddies that were at his wedding party took off for Pittsburgh for a couple hours of fun. And uh, 20 minutes later, they were struck head on by a car traveling in the wrong direction. The other driver, a young man angry about his failing marriage, drank 22 shots of whiskey and deliberately tried to kill himself. You know the end of the story. He lived. The five young men, including Eddie, were all instantly killed. Most of the guests that came to the wedding the next day did not know about the accident. Life is short. Um, Patty Putman's mother passed away, early 70s. Two weeks ago, Ed Getz, early 70s. Lisa Ruley, 43 years old. Life is short. There's no guarantees. Now, this isn't about fear, but this is simply about reality. This is about making a decision. Okay, now, based on what I know from God's word, what am I going to do? Am I going to bend to the earth and nourish myself on that which is not food? Or am I going to stand tall in Christ? So here's the truth of the passage, this passage this morning in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you have come to believe that you are God of your life, you are master of your life, Invictus, right? If you've come to believe that you have everything in control and that you can lead your life better than anyone else, um, all I can say is that you have bought the world's view that is organized against God. If you believe that you are in control of your life, you are feeding, you are bending a knee to the earth and feeding on that which will not nourish you. And if you do so by standing on top of someone else, or if you do so by standing on top of your accomplishments and accumulations, you will be held accountable for that. You're holding on to dust. You're eating a mist, a vapor. And brothers and sisters in Christ, it will not sustain. I want to close. Um, You know our story, Sherry and I. Our son Tyler was killed in 1989. The same day, a seven-year-old girl was killed on the other side of Denver. We lived in Lakewood on the west side. And in downtown Denver, a little seven-year-old girl was killed. Same day. Side-by-side articles in the newspaper. And um, we tried to contact the family. We had just a little bit of contact with them, but we followed them through some mutual friends. And, and uh, after a short while, that couple got a divorce. That's not surprising. Eighty percent of parents that, lose children, that have children die, 80 percent get a divorce within a year. It's not surprising. Husband pressed into alcoholism and 
that was his life and the mom did other things that were death and well, it just didn't work out well for them. Now, these were wonderful people. These people, they're probably on the surface. They're much better than Sherry and I. We're just a couple of people that are trying to do life. But here's the difference. We were not better than them, but we had a resource that they didn't have. We had Jesus. That's not to our credit. It's to his credit. We had Jesus. We, in the very dark days, when we couldn't breathe, Jesus would help us breathe. When we couldn't stand up, when we were bent to the earth, not by our own doing, the Bible says that Jesus stood us up. We had Jesus, and Jesus is enough, and Jesus is my only hope, and I know that I can't control my life. I tried. I tried desperately to control my life. We have Jesus. So, friends, here, here's, here's the truth of this passage. Bend the knee to the earth your choice. Nourish from that which the earth offers you life, which is really death. Nourish yourself from the things that are organized against the philosophy of God. Nurture yourself with building up accumulations and accolades and everything else. Nurture yourself with that. And that leads to death. But the other option is this. And there's no options in between. The other option is unconditional surrender. God, I don't have much faith. I don't have much hope. I don't have much anything. I I just know I need you. And I surrender my life to you. Would you bow your heads with me? Friends, I, I don't presume to know your heart. I only know mine. But I do know this. The testimony of James is really clear and You can agree with it or disagree. You can reject it or accept it. But for me, it's the word of God and I accept it and I believe it. And the testimony is is this. There's no middle ground. There's bending a knee to the earth and nourishing on that which is not food or there's standing tall in Christ. Unconditional surrender. Lord, my prayer this morning is that every person in this church would choose Jesus. It's not just a cliche. It's not just a platitude. They would choose Jesus, choose life instead of death. Father, I just want to give us a moment this morning, a moment for each person to be alone with you, just to hear your voice once again and to speak our words of love and acceptance and desire. So in this quiet moment, would you just be all alone with God? And would you tell him your heart? Father, we know that you're not looking down upon us. But you're eye level looking us right in our eyes, in the eyes of our heart. Hear the prayers of your children. Your sons and daughters that are broken and sometimes faithless. 
And sometimes we really do bend down to the earth and eat it. But Father, we desire to stand tall in Jesus Christ. We desire to give you unconditional surrender. Take our lives. Take our lives, Father. And let us stand tall in Christ. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.